live your life, boy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Conspiracy Farm, where we don't start the conspiracies, we just add the water. And now, your host of the most state-of-the-art, most informed podcast on the interweb, I present to you, Pat Militage and Jeffrey Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for Yeah, rear naked choke of Cocker Spaniel, bro. You know what I'm saying? Change the neighborhood up. Conspiracy Farm. Go. Check it out. Locked and loaded, ladies and gentlemen, for another episode of The Conspiracy Farm. Jeffrey Wilson, as always, coming to you live and direct, riding shotgun with my partner in crime, UFC Hall of Famer, Pat Militich. How we doing today, champ? Well, I'm in Iowa, so I'm doing great, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not too far down here in Missouri. And our guest today, man, I've been following her work for quite a while. And when you talk about these assassins, uh, not literally, of course, but these research assassins whose, whose research is so concise and they go so deep and so thorough as we all try to get some semblance of real news out there. Um, this is so very refreshing to have her on. I unfortunately <clears throat> made a mistake and advertised her as working for the Mint Press News, who she no longer works for. She's going to tell us where we can find her work right now. She is a researcher. She is an author. Whitney Webb, how are you doing today? Hey, uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you. Again, I, I messed up the time zone, and so uh, I kind of flubbed that number a little bit. She was absolutely so gracious to uh, uh, give me a little bit of a time extension. So here we are. Again, Whitney, I, I said you were at Mint Press News. You are no longer there. We could find your work at the thelastamericanvagabond.com and unlimitedhangout.com. Is that correct? Yeah, well, Unlimited Hangout is is a website that I set up just for my work in case I start contributing to other sites. Um, I may contribute some reports to Mint Press again in the future, um, things like that. But so, um, and that way everyone can see just my work in general, at least from this point forward in one place. Um, but for now, I'm only writing for uh, The Last American Vagabond. So my, my, my writing uh, in this new series I just started um, are all going to be there. But of course, all of my past work um, from before, um, you know, from the beginning of March um, of this year uh, backwards, that's all still up at Net Press News. Perfect. And there's there's quite a bit there, ladies and gentlemen. Again, she's she's very thorough in her research. And the series that she's speaking of, we're going to kind of deconstruct it as much as we can because I'm telling you, there's just reading it and hearing her give interviews, there's so much to this that goes so far beyond what we've been told is, you know, just this virus. And if you go to uh, Last American Vagabond, the, stock, the series that she's talking about, investigative series entitled The Engineering Contagion, Amerithrax, and the Rise of the Biotech Industrial Complex. Wow, it's a mouthful. And there's, there really is quite a bit to this. Um, but, you know, what have you been up to? What, you, how you, what else have you been doing to keep yourself busy? How are things going down there in Chile? Well, things in Chile are not that different from the U.S. right now. Um, but thankfully, I don't live in Santiago, which is the capital of Chile, where a third of the country's population lives. That city is on pretty much total lockdown, military, quote unquote, public health checkpoints to get in and out. And even in between neighborhoods, you have to get a police permit to leave your house and they have to approve your reason for leaving. Um so thankfully, I don't live there. I live in a smaller town um, about, you know, 10 hours from there by car. Um, people are still freaking out because, like, Chilean news TV, I mean, it's like the state TV, which is called TVN and then CNN. <laughs> so um, a lot of people that watch cable news here are, like, freaking out. And But most people that don't watch cable news, which, like, in the rural areas is, is a decent amount, they're just sort of blowing it off. Um 
So I don't know. It's kind of a mixed bag. Um, I mean, you know, I think this is being felt, you know, globally. I live really, you know, Chile is pretty far from the U.S., but a lot of the same stuff is going on here. Um, and, you know, I, I can't really complain given, um, you know, the circumstances. I can go outside and stuff and right. play in, in my yard and some nearby, like, fields and stuff with my kid. I have a two-year-old. Um so, you know, the daycare thing, you know, being canceled, schools being canceled nationwide until like May, it'll yeah. probably be longer than that. You know, that's definitely um, <laughs> impacting things. But a lot of people in the U.S. are, you know, feeling the same, the same pinch. So, you know, just, we, you know, thinking of everyone that's going through the same thing right now, it's definitely not an easy situation. But that's why sure. I think it's really important to spend this time, you know, sharing information, why we still have platforms anyway, yes. before the mass deplatforming comes, you know, to try and, and figure out, um, you know, make it a group effort of what's really going on here, what the agenda is and what to do when the quarantine is lifted. You know, yes. now is a planning time for sure. and, and a time for spreading information around. At least that's how I'm looking at it. Well, and there's, there's a lot of information to this. And uh, again, if you go check out her, the beginning of her investigative series, it's really just mind-blowing because as we talk about all, very frequently on this show, nothing ever is as it seems. And I think the best way, I know we don't have too much time with you, but I mean, just to kind of concise, con I mean, to kind of summarize a lot of what your report says, you know, you never really know where you're going until you know where you've been. And if you don't mind, we've talked about in a, these exercises, if you will, that have gone on, gone on. There's clear evidence now that this was pre-planned. And this was not only pre-planned as recently as Event 201 with Bill Gates. If you can, break down, and I'm kind of going to hit you all at once with these because they all kind of performed similar roles. So your Operation Contagion, your Operation Dark Winter, um, these were operations going back... Well, it, Break those down a little bit, and then the uh, the anthrax from 2001 and how some of these players are still involved today. Okay, so last year, uh, there were several pandemic simulations, either pandemic in the U.S. that spread global. Well, pandemic is an international epidemic, right? right? So there were pandemic simulations that were conducted by the U.S. government. One of those is called Crimson Contagion, and a lot of reporting on Crimson Contagion has claimed that it was just one simulation. This is false. It was a series of simulations. It was four in total. Uh, the first one took place in January. The last one took place in August. Um, it involved 19 different U.S. federal agencies, 12 states, um, and a bunch of private companies. Um, so I'll be exploring that um, exercise specifically a lot more going forwards. It was, it, but it was led. What's important for now is that it was led by Robert Cadlick, who is yes. the Assistant Secretary uh, for Preparedness for the Department of Health and Human Services (HHS), right? Um, and beyond that, we have Event Two Zero One, of course, which was, you know, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the World Economic Forum, and the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security, um, which is currently led by Thomas Inglesby. Um, it also came out uh, just yesterday that the Naval War College, where Robert Cadillac used to work and teach, had its own war game scenario for a pandemic uh, that was called, I think, uh, Urban Outbreak was the name of that exercise. And that took place last September. Um, all very odd. It's also worth pointing out, too, that at Event 201, it wasn't just, you know, the U.S. CDC Center for Disease Control that participated. Also, the Chinese equivalent of the CDC participated. And China also had its own pandemic simulation. I think it was in September of last year um, that involved a coronavirus breaking out at an airport, which is, you know, all pretty odd. 
um, when you take all this together. But anyway, returning to um, Robert Kedlick and, and Thomas Inglesby, who were involved in these these two recent and very uh, large, uh, you know, planning exercises for pandemics last year. Um, they both have a common history in the sense that they were both very and intimately involved in the creation of the script for Dark Winter, which was this uh, war games biowarfare exercise that took place in June 2001 at Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland. Um, a lot of high-level people attended that, including um, some examples, Frank we Frank Wisner Jr., who whose father co-founded the CIA and used to be in the Office of Strategic Services. Um, but you uh, you have James Woolsey, who is a member of project, who then was a member of the Project for a New American Century. Of course, PNAC, as it's known to a lot of people now, no longer exists. But he's a former CIA director. Uh, you had a lot, several members of the press, including Judith Miller. Um, Sam Nunn, who went on to found the Nuclear Threat Initiative with crazy billionaire Ted Turner of CNN fame, uh, who's also really into depopulation, not unlike Bill Gates, and you know a whole other cast of characters. Um, but what's really interesting um, about Dark Winter and why I think it's important in, in, in the context of these more recent simulations is that a lot of people that were involved in Dark Winter had foreknowledge of the anthrax attacks in 2001 that took place just a few months later. Yes. And then were also involved in the cover-up of the anthrax attacks, uh, contributing, quote-unquote, contributing to the FBI investigation that even the lead investigator of that investigation uh, came out and said was a hoax. He actually filed a whistleblower lawsuit against the FBI uh, because of how obstructed and impeded he was in conduct the, conducting that investigation. So that Robert Cadillac, just to, just to, re, I mean, just to mm -hmm. sew that up there, like you said, he is now the deputy, he is in the Department of Health and Human Source, Ser, Services. Robert Cadillac is in the Trump administration, and he was key yes. in obstructing the investigation of how that anthrax stuff played out. Yeah, totally. And he was appointed by Trump, I think, in 2017. Uh, and now he was just named at the beginning of March as being the head of the entire HHS coronavirus response. And I'll be talking about Cadillac a lot more when I talk about Crimson Contagion in Perfect. depth uh, later on in my series. He used to be a lobbyist for DARPA and NSA contractors and a bunch of these really spooky organizations. He also has a longstanding relationship with Richard Burr, the senator, um, used to work for him. And Burr, of course, recently got in trouble for insider trading in relation to coronavirus, which is pretty interesting Hopefully when you take all of, all of this together. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you said something well, about... Well, I think they got outed, not necessarily in trouble, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll see if they actually, you know, real accountability. But you also mentioned a minute right. ago about foreknowledge, you know, the anthrax. I mean, how that was traced back to Fort Detrick, Maryland. The guy they said actually did it, got suicided. But they, they were putting the White House on Cipro weeks before the anthrax thing even happened. Right. So that, if that's not clear foreknowledge, I don't know what is. Well, what's interesting about uh, these people in the Bush White House being told to take Cipro to prevent anthrax, inf anthrax infection. They were told to do that on the day of 9-11. And the person that told them to do that was a guy named Jerome Hauer, who participated in Dark Winter. Uh, returning to Dark Winter for a little bit, yes. um, the Dark Winter exercise also predicted a lot of stuff that would happen with the anthrax attacks, like letters being sent to the media, mm -hmm. anthrax being used to uh, attack, you know, uh, political leadership in the U.S., um, and, you know, a lot of other things that are just really eerie, including the initial narrative uh, that was, you know, put out by people like Jerome Hauer and other people involved in Dark Winter and, you know, p and all of this stuff, claiming that Saddam Hussein of Iraq 
and uh, you know, Al Qaeda in Afghanistan were working together and going to do a biological weapons attack against the U.S. Dark Winter says that that's who's going to be responsible. They also, uh, at the beginning of the exercise, suggested it might actually be China, and China's bioweapon program um, might be responsible for the smallpox attack that Dark Winter simulates, which is interesting when you consider now that a lot of former PNAC alums are now saying that this is a Chinese bioweapon meant to attack the whole world. Basically, we're seeing, you know, Tom Cotton, uh, who's a total neocon senator, come out and say, you know, uh, you know, sort of promote that narrative. And we're seeing, you know, other like neocon uh, type figures saying that China needs to be punished, that this was a bioweapon, stuff like that. So all very disconcerting when you look at the larger picture of the scenario. Yeah, I mean, just so much evidence of the pre-planning. It just is... Uh... So what are your thoughts on, I mean, obviously you could easily kind of correlate the reaction, the problem reaction solution from this to like a 9-11 and, you know, the civil liberties that we're willing to give up because of that fear-based kind of conditioning. We're just, they've scared the shit out of us and now we're just willing to give up so many of our rights. What are your, what are your thoughts about that? And the larger, I guess, kind of control mechanism that gets implemented after things like these, we're already seeing it, the DOJ with expanded arrest powers, et cetera. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think um, what we saw on 9-11 was that keeping, inducing fear and trauma through mass media coverage and the event itself, of course, uh, in the public consciousness was definitely used uh, to create a pretext for war and also a pretext for, you know, uh, people giving away their civil liberties, like through the Patriot Act. And the anthrax attacks was a key part of that. Um, after 9-11, there were all these people promoting, even before the first anthrax diagnosis was made, including Jerome Hauer, people that participated in Dark Winter, and then these PNAC guys, saying that there were going to be biological weapons attacks and that anthrax was going to be used and all this stuff. And then it was sent to three senators, Russ Feingold, Tom Daschle, and uh, Patrick Leahy. And the thing that those three senators have in common is that they were preventing the Patriot Act from being rammed through um, with little to no debate, which is what the Bush administration, specifically Dick Cheney, wanted at the time, uh, which I think is really significant. So there was definitely, you know, a campaign of fear um, going around here. And there were deliberate efforts made um, to keep that fear ramped up, you know, to 11, basically, as this whole thing unfolded, and a major effort to try and link that to Iraq, which the Bush administration, of course, we know now, wanted to invade even before they got into office, right? right. And there was, of course, no link between Iraq and, and the anthrax attacks or anything like that. Like you mentioned, it was a domestic source. It was traced to Fort Detrick, though some people that have investigated it say that it, it was more likely another U.S. Um, bioweapons lab, either at uh, Dugway in Utah or uh, the Battelle Memorial Institute. Um, but, you know, I didn't really go into that whole, um, you know, uh, complex the, the complexity of that in, in my article because I didn't want to distract from the whole simulation yeah. comparison aspect. Um, right. So this whole um, what went on with the anthrax attacks is that they were definitely really promoting the fear and really milking it for full effect. Um, and part of this had to do, too, with this faulty um, like sensor system that was installed at, at mail checkpoints at, at the White House um, and basically ended up resulting in a bunch of false positives, including uh, a false positive that claimed that Bush himself and Condoleezza Rice and Colin Powell had been infected with a with a biological weapon, which, of course, turned out to be a false positive. But that leaked out in the press and freaked a bunch of people out. 
obviously. Um, and then instead of getting that system removed from the White House, what Bush did is had it installed in 30 cities around the country. Wow. Um, why would you do that if you didn't want more false positives to happen, right? But I think by that time, the anthrax uh, attack started to lose their appeal to the Bush administration in terms of how they could be used because the FBI investigation early on realized that the source of the anthrax was domestic, even though uh, Robert Mueller, who was then director of the FBI, came under a lot of pressure to link this to someone in the Middle East, namely Saddam Hussein or uh, Osama bin Laden or, or someone like that. Um, but they didn't. And so as as the focus turned to be more domestic, uh, you know, the the fear, the promotion of the fear in relation to the attack sort of waned a little bit because it couldn't be used as a pretext for war as successfully as it was in the early days when all of, you know, a lot of this was unknown. But the FBI just totally sabotaged the investigation in, in, in the early days, you know, um, making a lot of uh, really odd decisions like ordering that the uh database for the aim strains of, of anthrax be totally destroyed at the university of iowa which made it like pretty much impossible to determine where the anthrax using the attacks came from um why would you do that if right. <laughs> if you were actually like wanting to investigate stuff and there's a ton more examples like that that i, I include in my report um also richard lambert who's the uh fbi lead agent on this investigation that later became a whistleblower he's done interviews in the years since his whistleblower lawsuit um just talking about how what a fraud that investigation was so that anyone that's more that's interested in more information on that um i recommend listening to to him and what he has to say yeah, and it's really important to read, to check her investigation out, because, again, that backstory and the architecture that was set up so long ago, it just makes what's going on now, make, it just makes so much more sense. And even going back with the, the victims of the anthrax, you know, like Tom Daschle, you know, he was against the vote of uh, war in Iraq, if I remember correctly, and he got sent, you know, anthrax or even like Rand Paul or you know, things that are happening now to people who are seemingly kind of enemies of a certain agenda are receiving, are getting COVID. I mean, I'm not, not to say everybody, but it's just odd who's, you know, the country's, you know, Iran's like second to Italy in the most deaths, et cetera. So it's just, it's interesting how there's kind of this retribution still right. going on. Well, uh, speaking about Iran, it's really interesting that of, of the countries that were hit, their initial cases hit the political leadership of that country, like right away. It wasn't something that started in a civilian, a group of civilians and spread outwards. I mean, even in, you know, where the where this ostensibly started in China, it didn't affect the political leadership of the country. But in Iran, it did and, and killed off a lot of high ranking government officials. I think just recently today it was announced that like one of the top people in parliament, like the speaker of the house of, of Iran's parliament tested positive for mm. coronavirus. Well, just really Iranian... crazy how it's just spread. Oh, the sorry. Iranian envoy to the the Iranian envoy to the Vatican uh, died right. I mean, he got sick right after uh, visiting the Vatican and with the Pope, and then the Pope actually got sick. So the interesting thing, though, and you can give us feedback on this, is you know, as far as the Harvard professor being arrested for having biological agents on him, and the two Chinese national scientists also being arrested, do we feel that are we ever with with other with other situations like this, although this is this is like Operation Gladio on a nuclear level, hmm. uh, this this type of attack, we we have eventually learned the truth about a lot of these different types of false flags that have gone on in history, uh, Gulf of Tonkin and, and many others included. Do we feel we're going to ever find out 
where this originated, what lab it came from, who was responsible, and how many how many bodies are going to drop in the process to try and keep it hidden. Mm. Well, that's kind of a hard question to answer, but what I will say is that I did a report in January that I didn't uh, publish at Mint Press, even though I was still writing for them at the time. I published it um, where I'm writing now at The Last American Vagabond, and I went over a lot of the studies that had been done by funded by DARPA um, over the past several years related to coronavirus um, and bats and a bunch of other uh, weird studies they were funding. And a lot of those studies, and this hasn't really gotten the coverage it deserves, I think, were jointly funded by China's government and the U.S. government. Like they'd be funded by DARPA, wow. the National Institutes of Health of the U.S., but then they'd also be funded by China's um, Science Foundation, which is really odd. And there would be a lot of... Um, you know, uh, Chinese scientists participating in U.S. scientists. It was a collaborative effort in a lot of those. Um, one of those studies that got a lot of attention recently was one, I think it was uh, got attention in an article from the Nature, which is a really prestigious science journal, right, um, in 2015, saying that this um, it, it was really dangerous what the study had done because it created a, a coronavirus that was so good at attacking human cells. And, it, it, and, you know, this research team should not have done that. And that, that study was just like the ones I just mentioned. It was a joint between uh, China's uh, science, National Science Foundation um, and you know, the US National Institutes of Health and, and a lot of other um, you know, uh, US agencies funding this. And the Chinese scientists involved were both from this you know, lab in Wuhan where the epicenter was, wow. um, this virology lab there, which is super odd. Um, and uh, the the guy, I forget the name, he's a, a Japanese-born scientist, but he was the lead guy on the study. He came under a lot of crit criticism because he was basically promoting these, um, making viruses like this, um, out, which are sometimes called gain-of-function viruses. Basically, you make a virus more easily spread and transmissible and deadlier with the ostensible purpose of studying how a virus evolves better. And... Um, there used to be a moratorium on this, and it was lifted a few years ago. And one of the people that promoted this guy's work and tried to get the moratorium on this gain-of-function thing removed was Anthony Fauci, who's this uh -huh. guy that we're you know, seeing oh, wheeled geez. out on, yeah, uh, at these press conferences telling us, you know, giving all this medical advice. And uh, But, you know, that, that was an American scientist. They were collaborating with Wuhan. Also, the Fort Detrick lab that's gotten um, a lot of uh, scrutiny lately because last year, they were shut down by the CDC for major lapses in biosafety, including not keeping an inventory of the pathogens they study. That lab, since the 1980s, has had close ties with Wuhan's Institute of Virology. So a lot of people, what we're seeing now is that China's pointing the finger at the U.S. saying this is a U.S.-made bioweapon. We're seeing people in the U.S. point the finger at China. What I'm starting to think based on event 201 as uh, being part of my basis for that in the sense that there was participation from China's government and the US's government, that this may have been planned on a bigger level um, because I, yeah. I, people that think this sounds really crazy, I would refer them to a great video that James Corbett did several years ago that is called China and the New World Order that talks about China's leadership, the role of uh, China's economic elite uh, the, the rise of their economic elite and the role that the Rockefeller family and Henry Kissinger and people like that played in that and what that means for China today. Um, and because I, I think we need to look at the bigger picture um, yes. that a lot of, you know, the decisions made in the world today aren't necessarily made at the nation state level all the time. There's like a global oligarchy and a global elite. 
that, you know, right. um, have decisions and interests that transcend national lines. Um, so I'm increasingly beginning to think that there may be something to that in terms of is this really a bioweapon or is this something that was planned, uh, you know, at those upper levels of leadership that have interests in both China and the U.S., um, I think that's where people need to start looking now, because I think, you know, this whole the, they made the bioweapon. No, they made yeah. the bioweapon is intentionally being used to divide and conquer yes. um, on a massive scale. So, well, that's, um, that's, I think so, that's that's no, I'm sorry. That, that's so interesting. And that's very fascinating. Cause we talk about that, too. It is frustrating because I call it like everyone's taking the Pepsi challenge. It's either this or that. It's this binary thought process of, you know, it has to be one or the other. When I've always contended and a lot of people do kind of see through a lot of this that, you know, this it's Yes, not checkers. You know what I mean? These, it, it, it goes, like you said, well beyond just a single state. And something you mentioned uh, about DARPA, and uh, you mentioned in your work how a lot of these supposed companies that are coming up with vaccines are directly related to DARPA. Can you speak to that they a little are. bit? Yeah, so um, Moderna is um, one of the companies that got, um, you know, chosen to make a coronavi uh, coronavirus vaccine right away. The other one was Inovio Pharmaceuticals. They are both, even if you just go to their website, they'll tell you strategic partners of DARPA. Um, Inovio Pharmaceuticals makes a DNA vaccine. Moderna makes an mRNA vaccine. Both of those classes of vaccine, which involves inserting foreign genetic material into your body, not like traditional vaccines, which are, you know, like, damaged or inert parts of, of a virus um they have never been approved before uh for human use ever but now they're basically being rammed through because of the fear of coronavirus and what have you um but what's interesting is that not only are they strategic allies of darpa the reason they're strategic allies and partners of darpa is because that technology mrna and dna vaccine technology was created by darpa and after they created these vaccine platforms, they sort of spun it off and privatized it and gave these companies, you know, some rights to it and said, hey, go and develop this further. But a lot of this um, is, are projects that DARPA has made for a long time. And if you look at, um, you know, DARPA's interest in vaccines, they talk about using turning the human body into a bioreactor re for antibodies and antigens. And that's basically what the mRNA vaccines and the DNA vaccines claim to do, that they directly code the antibody and proteins of the, of the virus as a way to give you in, like almost instant immunity. But like I said, that's, they've never been approved for human use. No one knows the long-term health effects. Um, right. And it's very, um, you know, I personally, I think it's dangerous to ram through some sort of unknown technology and have it used on a massive scale, especially considering the players we know are, that are involved. Then beyond that, there's two more vaccines and an experimental plasma, um, blood plasma treatment that's being tested in New York right now that are all tied to a company um, that I'll be writing about in part two of my series that are all tied to Jerome Hauer, this dark winter guy, um, and who also, you know, worked for Kroll Inc. during 9-11 and a whole bunch of other stuff. Very shady character. Um, but anyway, this company... Um, was also behind the anthrax vaccine that disabled um, for life uh, several people in uh, the U.S. military who were forced to receive the anthrax vaccine after the 2001 anthrax attacks. Um, but because of really corruption in, in the political sphere and at the Pentagon, um, they have never been held accountable um, for the fact that their anthrax vaccine causes all these defects. And they basically keep paying for it more and more, even though the plant where they make the vaccine was found to be like dirty and there were contaminated samples and things were unlicensed and all this stuff. 
And now they're being, uh, you know, given rights to develop these uh, two coronavirus vaccines and this other treatment. So basically everywhere you look, um, the, treat, the, the vaccines and, and a lot of the experimental treatments are all connected to uh, players like this. It's very alarming, wow. um, especially when, when you consider that, you know, mass media right now is, is promoting the need to have a cure immediately. And yes. the first one that's approved, bam, they're going to be rolling it out on a massive scale. And the people who are the most scared are going to be begging for it, which I think is really, really yeah. freaky. Um, Millions. But, yeah. Right. <laughs> Problem reaction Not solution. Either. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, the thing was, I I felt you know the, the you know the first the first newscast I saw in this thing, you know, it was a it was a bat the size of a chihuahua hanging out of a bowl of soup, uh, <laughs> saying you know this is where it came from, and I went, this is obviously a work. Right. This is you know this was this was as pathetic and as obvious as showing pictures of a dead James Paddock in his Las Vegas uh, hotel room you know, with blood pooled around his head. Uh, how often do we get on the on the national news the picture of a close-up of a dead human being with blood pooled around right. his head? Uh, never, unless they want to set a narrative, right? So now it's the same thing where they show a giant bat hanging out of a, a, a bowl of bullion saying it, it came from eating bats. And I went, you have got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. Well, that was totally fake. And it's really not that different than, um, you know, the messaging that came out with past pandemics. I think also um, the when when there was the Ebola scare and the Ebola pandemic in in West Africa, they blamed it on people eating bushmeat. Like, oh, look how barbaric they are eating bushmeat. And now it's, oh, look how barbaric the Chinese are. They eat bats. You know, it's just that same sort of... um, and to, you know. and to elaborate and to elaborate on the Ebola, uh, you know, Jeffrey and I have talked about this on the show before, where uh, Sierra Leone politicians were freaking out because we have a, a bioweapons lab there where, of course, the, the scientists have diplomatic immunity. But the, the Sierra Leone uh, politicians were freaking out saying, hey, man, you can't be doing tests on live red blood cells. And it was literally a week later, no, no more than a week later, that there was a huge Ebola outbreak in Sierra Leone. Uh, and they feel that, that that came from that laboratory. And I got in, I got in some hot water. Uh, I made a joke. It was a, a, a joke in poor taste where CBS News sent out a man showing signs of Ebola lands at Washington Dulles Airport. And I tweeted, I said, God forbid, this was during Obama's administration. I said, God forbid a White House aide uh, drinks from the same water fountain and brings brings Ebola back to the belly of the beast. <laughs> and it was, it was a joke in poor taste. I got in trouble for it. But, uh, you know, that's, I just, when you, when you know the history that we've all researched, you just shake your head at this shit. Well, even more recently, there was um, a girl, um, Diliana, I can't, oh, I Gaitan forget Jeva. her last name. Gaitan Shaiva. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. We've yeah, had her on a couple so times. Yeah. I was going to ask you about she's, that. Yeah, she's really great. And she did, um, you know, that really well-documented um, story um, recently about, you know, this lab in Georgia, how people were getting sick around it. Um, how they were transporting stuff like through diplomatic channels that were yes. like pathogens and stuff. I mean, just really bizarre. And when I wrote this article um, in January for The Last American Vagabond, you know, this was before this um, whole coronavirus thing even, you know, got out of hand like it is now. Um, there were several studies that were, you know, funded by DARPA or funded by these other organizations that um, were taking place in conjunction with U.S. bioweapon uh, labs in Kazakhstan, which borders China, 
um, and, and a bunch of other stuff. It just really, it's really hard to know exactly where this came from, but you know. Well, and Deliana um, kind of prognosticated this. She was saying there's 23, I think the number was 23 different bio labs all throughout Eurasia and obviously Africa as well. And she was like, you know, with this level of not being able to check it and accountability and oversight with the diplomatic stuff, like she was basically saying it's just a matter of time before something like this happens. So right. as, as we try to trace but this like, down. Even in yeah. the US, well, like even in the US, the, the labs in the US that are like bioweapons labs, like Fort Detrick and, and Dugway, Utah, and, and places like that, they've had insane uh, like safety lapses. I think from tw 2005 to 2015, it came out in 2015, of course, um, they were shipping live anthrax around the country. They did it over 70 times because their procedure yeah. to make anthrax inert didn't work. So they were shipping live anthrax, not just 70 times throughout the U.S. It was like 86 labs in the U.S., but also to different countries. Jeez. I mean, that's insane. And yeah. then you have Fort Detrick closed last year, um, not just because of the biosafety lapses, um, but, well, let me talk about what happened at Fort Detrick last year. Basically, the CDC came in in July and said, we're shutting you down because this is ridiculous. And they listed all these different lapses, including, like, no one was keeping inventory. Um, their wastewater wasn't being decontaminated. Um, they, they would wear... Um, they would store protective protective gear they use in like an open bag. So like anyone could just come up and like take it out or be exposed to it. I mean, just really ridiculous stuff when you consider that that's like, you know, the U.S. bio like level four bio lab, um, just really insane. And then even though they hadn't fixed those problems, that the CDC had had identified the Pentagon was lobbying super heavily to get it reopened and they reopened it in November and actually, um, by the way, members of Congress weren't even notified that Fort Detrick had been shut, that this lab had been shut down. They found out from media reports. So the, the Pentagon was trying to, like, cover this up, basically. And then um, when they partially reopened it in November, then a media report hit from the local news in, in, in this area, um, which is like the Frederick News Post or something like that um, is the name. And they um, they revealed that Fort Detrick last year had at least two breaches of containment. They'd been leaked a document, but it was redacted what the pathogens were that had leaked out or been taken out. Right. And that hasn't gotten like any media coverage. So like even, you know. Um, what, what really needs to be driven home here, I think, is that there is a bioweapons program in the U.S. and it has been uh, having insane like safety flaws in it, even domestically, but also abroad for a really long time. And there's been no accountability for that. And that's really insane. And there's a lot of partner partnering, you know, between those institutions and institutions abroad. I mean, something could have gone wrong and we wouldn't have known about it. Um, Shame it Christmas. There's so... I don't think we'll ever know exactly like <laughs> where this came from, but um, there's a lot of reasons for concern. Even if this isn't where it came from, people should be saying, what the heck? Can we fix this, please? You know? Right. Well, there's no money in that. It's all about scaring the hell out of you and, you know, all the companies that are going to be making money off vaccines <laughs> yeah. and the police state. And speaking of that, I mean, we've been talking about it forever. I mean, it's pretty plain to see this is really and it has been going on for a long time. This operation, you know, divide and conquer, if you will. And for me personally, I, it's frustrating because I think people get too often caught up in that binary right or left necessarily. And for me, this goes so far beyond that. And if you can speak to. 
again, some of these players involved. And again, I think this goes beyond any personal, any individual president, any personal individual administration. There's, there's a larger architecture at play here. Talk to me about some of these players that we just talked about. I mean, Robert Cadler, we know his role in obs, obs, whatever, sabotaging the FBI investigation. We got Bill Barr, who's, you know, shady, in my opinion, shady as hell, going back to, you know, uh, William Casey, Iran-Contra. You know, now his DOJ is expanding, you know, arrest powers. He's been talking about pre-crime. You know, you get Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, you know, skull and bones up and down. Goldman Sachs with his, you know, going back his dad to the late 50s. Um, his his kind of shady role, you know, with gold, with uh, uh, George Soros, et cetera. And talk to me about how, A, we got to stop getting so caught up in the right left. And B, how they're, they're responsible in helping to bring in this larger police state, this architecture of mass surveillance tracking you, you know, facial recognition, et cetera. Well, that's a loaded question. All right. So definitely we have to get past left and right right now because um, I have no patience right now for people in independent and alternative media who are still paying attention to the, to the Democratic primary. Wake the hell up. Uh, there is there is like way bigger issues to talk about right now. Um, they canceled yeah. the convention today. I saw that. Well, they postponed it. Oh, yeah, they'll probably yeah. cancel We'll probably cancel the whole election. I actually uh, wrote about that in January, how they were going to cancel it because uh, a, a bunch of intelligence agencies and like mass media at the end of last year were saying that the 2020 election wasn't going to happen because of foreign hackers or something. So, you know, that's usually a way of trying to prep you for mm. what comes after. Um, and then there were simulations actually for like the election day being canceled that were done by this Israeli, um, uh, this company tied to Israeli intelligence and the CIA. Um, but anyway, that's sort of a, a sidetrack there. But anyway, talking about the people that are in power right now, how they're bringing out a police state. Um, Bill Barr, I'm really glad you brought him up because no one really covered the pre-crime stuff. I think I was the first one to cover it really outside in, in independent media and like criticize it because the only coverage of it I saw was like at the Huffington Post and a couple other mainstream outlets. And they were saying, um, Bill Barr is going to use technology to stop mass shooters. Hooray. Right. And um, that's not right. what this is about. Um, it's not it's not about that, um, because now we're seeing it being pushed through to fight coronavirus. So, I mean, the boogeyman and the reason for having it uh, will change whenever it's convenient. Right. When it's but what in, that program I'm, is. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, you're good. Um, Okay. Uh, what that program is, it's called the Disruption and Early Engagement Program, or DEEP. And it's about uh, using combing through social media um, and people's communications. This is also why Bill Barr has been trying to end encryption for like years, because um, they, they want the government wants a backdoor into basically all of your, you know, communications um, online to see if you are quote unquote mobilizing towards violence and i think it's no coincidence that we saw the fbi which is overseen by bill barr and the doj last year say that conspiracy theorists are domestic terror threat yep. right so remember these are all things that happened just last year now we're seeing him ask for the right to indefinitely detain americans um including pre-arrest right uh to pause legal proceedings pre-arrest which means they just round you up and put you somewhere um, if they get those no, powers, I really hope they don't. Yeah, no, without trial, without being able to call an attorney, without anybody even knowing where the hell you went, you know, and that, and, and knowing right. the history of, of the experiments that have already taken place over the years from 1932 to 1932, uh, the Tuskegee, Tuskegee uh, experiments on black Americans getting uh, black men syphilis on purpose to see uh, 
the results of it and, and what, you know, how damaging it would be when you know the history of what our government has done to our citizens, yet we're the ones that are potential terrorists. It's, it's insane. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But enough people don't really realize that, I guess, because they're, they've been conditioned first in 2001, invisible enemy of those terrorists in the caves in Afghanistan abroad. And now it's the invisible enemy of coronavirus that we must all fight. So, um, you know, it's just really unfortunate that not enough Americans uh, know the history about what our government does. But I think there's also a lot of people that even when they, they see that information, they don't really want to digest it um, right. because it's it's um, not a happy realization to come to. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's a big that's a that's a big that's a big chicken bone to swallow to get stuck in your throat when you're when you're having to process. You know, it's not easy to do this, is it, Whitney? It's not easy to have to research stuff that, that is this dark. Uh, Jeff and I have talked about no. it many times. It's 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 taxing. It is it is taxing on the soul. Right. No, it absolutely is. But honestly, it's really necessary work um, yes. in order to right. be able to change the situation. Because if you're fighting blind and you think reality is one way, when it's actually not that yes. way, you can't change it. Right. Well, so that's, that's... Why, that sort of goes back to what I was saying earlier about how it's really important to try and and get people while they're in quarantine with you, or you know uh, you know. Um, they're quarantined elsewhere to try and get this information on them and, and try and help them through that process of understanding how things really are. Um, because right. the mask has come off recently more now than ever. Uh, yes. More people should be able to see it than they could even a few years ago. Um, even with Epstein so being killed, have- that was a, that was a pretty big move in that direction as well. When Epstein, whatever. Well, I I hope so, because, you know, I felt like the series I wrote on Epstein reached a lot of people. Uh, It got read by over like a million people. I was really hoping that that was going (laughs) to help people wake up. But now, you know, we're seeing people asked to be told what to do by Bill Gates, who had super close ties to Jeffrey Epstein. Bill Gates, um, top scientific advisor, who's like the guy that advises him on vaccines and like depopulation and all this stuff, was like the executor of Jeffrey Epstein's will when he died. Wow. I mean, these guys were close, dude. <laughs> wow. Yeah. When yeah. it is so sure. frustrating, yeah. too, everyone, I mean, the, we talk about it a lot, and I hate to keep saying that, but everyone's confirmation bias. And I think it, the older you get, whatever it is, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I think it's, it's easier to lie to people than to you know, show them they've been lied to. I think because when we do present this information that you know, it turns out to be legit, not only does it freak people out, so they say, wow, that just completely shook my whole paradigm of what I thought was real. And what, you know, I've, I've clearly been lied to. And then it belies a larger question. What now do I do about it? So, I mean, those two things are just really hard to tackle when you have, you know, thought everything is one way and it's really not. So it's um, I think it's it's good work that hopefully we all do to kind of break through some of this madness. But um, again, some people are just going to believe what they believe and that's on them. Something uh, before we let you slide, I don't want to keep you too much longer, a term we've been hearing as we kind of extrapolate this larger ripple effect of all of this, a term I keep hearing, and I think you have too, is COG, continuity of government. Um, mm-hmm. We've talked oh, about, yeah. we, we've talked many a times of how this, uh, everything that's going on, the threat doesn't match, the re- the reaction doesn't ma- match the threat, uh, in fact. And we're hearing how, you know, Cheyenne Mountain got shut down. I mean, what is going on? Why are we talking about con- well, yeah. continuity of government when we're not even talking huge? I mean, it sucks that people are dying and blessings to anybody going through this. But have we not overstepped a little bit? We're talking continuity of government now? Yeah, um, I think that's really um, disturbing, the fact that that started to leak out in mainstream me- media, the term continuity of government. 
Um, I actually ended up writing about it because um, Newsweek did a story uh, talking about continuity of government, making it sound like this is something the military recently came up with. And then it gave a timeline of continuity of government plans and says that like during World War II and in, in the beginning of the Cold War, Truman and Eisenhower, they had some sort of plans. But it didn't even mention what happened to continuity of government under the Ronald Reagan administration. And I was like, oh, well, that's really interesting you'd leave that out because that's when um, Oliver North created Main Corps, which was like this technological database um, of people to be like, uh, surveilled or even rounded up that were considered dissidents for even the most like trivial reasons. And of course that database, Main Corps, uh, still exists. It was seen being used at the White House after 9-11 when continuity of government was activated for a period of time. Some people argue that it remained activated, who really knows. Um, the last reports on Main Corps came out in 2008, said there were 8 million Americans. It's probably more now. Main Corps, um, has also been um, all these domestic surveillance programs post 9-11. They also existed before 9-11 uh, feed the fruits of their surveillance into main core as well. So it knows a lot of stuff. Technology has also um, grown a lot since the 1980s when this was first set up in 1982. And, um, you know, it's most likely that, a, a you know, a software like Palantir or, or some program like that is what's running it now. Very creepy stuff uh, to think about, but returning about to that. Bill Barr, Peter Thiel. Um, Bill Barr, right? Uh, but but really quickly, Bill Barr, who we were just talking about a little bit ago, he was also a pioneer of these surveillance programs. The first one uh, that happened under under the George H. W. Bush administration that was Bill Barr's pet project, and it worked out for him. He got it pushed through, and now he's promoting more of it now. And now we're also hearing again the need to increase mass surveillance because of coronavirus. Interestingly enough, a lot of the push from that has come from a woman called Tara O'Toole, who was another co-author of Dark Winter and now works for InQtel, the CIA's venture capital arm. And since her, over the course of her time there, she has been pushing through these mass surveillance uh, programs as a way to fight pandemics, basically setting up this narrative that we're seeing come out now. So small world, the Dark Winter Club. <laughs> It's, I mean, uh, the layers of the, the size of this is just beyond me, really. I mean, I can't thank you enough. When you, when the you diligent to, research is so invaluable. Sorry, Pat, go ahead. When you go back to continuity of government, I mean, that also includes not just the surveillance of, of American citizens, but, you know, there's also quite a bit of, you know, where do military troops get moved to? What do you do with first responders? You know, our military leaders are moved uh, underneath Cheyenne Mountain for their protection. They say... Uh, you know, to quarantine them, quarantine them from a virus, but you don't need to quarantine people underneath uh, a mountain in Colorado Springs to protect <laughs> them from a virus. You know, that's more for an EMP attack or a, or a nuclear missile strike. Right. Well, I think they're honestly, I think just like 9-11, how there was 9-11 and then the anthrax attacks, um, that there's going to be some other event that piggybacks off of this, especially mm. if more people start to question the government response. Um, we're already seeing some odd moves being made by the Trump administration. For example, um, there's a was a sudden pivot yesterday away from coronavirus to, oh, we have to stop the narco traffickers in Venezuela and we have to blockade their country. Um, I think that's a really interesting pivot, especially when you consider, um, for example, that the price of oil has gone way down, which means that a lot of U.S. Uh, domestic shale oil or fracking producers are probably going to go bankrupt, um, which means that 
the U.S. may be interested in seeking free oil elsewhere. Venezuela, of course, is the largest oil reserves in the world. Hmm. Um, are we seeing sort of a repeat of 9-11, 9-11 anthrax, and then, oh, we have to go get that oil in Iraq type deal? I think it is very possible. Um, it remains to be seen what's going on, but that pivot, um, I think, is very alarming. Um so we'll see what happens there. But speaking about continuity of government, um, again, I brought up Maine Corps first just because it's the most, I would say, underreported aspect of continuity of government. Um, but we do know that in February, before these lockdowns were even going on, that Mark Esper, the Secretary of Defense, was basically putting the guy that's in charge of NORTHCOM on notice, talking about continuity of government plans, and they were already sort of promoting that. Is that um, O'Shaughnessy? You know. Yeah, right. And so that's basically, um, you know, um, there's different levels of continuity of government, but right. it, bas- it, it can basically lead to, you know, the legislative branch being taken out completely, um, even if they're not incapacitated, you know, in, in the traditional sense, because it, in the past it was justified as, you know, this was, oh, in the case of nuclear war and Congress is bombed, you know, this is what we do. But the plans, how they were changed in the 1980s, um, really changed how it worked and they can just basically um annul congress if they want and and the court system replayed it with military courts and all this stuff and i think it's worth pointing out you know like i said in the 80s a lot of the big players in continuity of government in the 1980s like dick cheney and donald rumsfeld um got a taste of that power after 9 11 and also have odd ties to dark winter uh, Dick Cheney, right after 9-11, was personally briefed by the authors of Dark Winter about that exercise. Uh, Scooter Libby, who was his chief of staff, was um, kind of obsessed with it in a lot of really weird ways. I talk about wow. this in my um, in my series a little bit. And now we're seeing a lot of people with ties to that same group of, you know, neocons or whatever you want to call them, war criminals. There are lots of things. <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're in power right now again, and we're just handing them unprecedented power um, in, in ways, and, and not just power, money. I mean, they are just looting us. Yes. Um, like there's no tomorrow uh, creating, you know, this is like surf versus like no, the nobles type stuff at this point <laughs> now. I mean, just like totally gutting um, what was left of the middle class because this the stimulus package, they called it a relief bill, and yeah. it's four times bigger than the, the Wall Street bailouts of 2008, right? And they gave it to BlackRock, this giant like hedge fund to just throw around wherever they, they, they feel is necessary, right? Oh, I wonder what will happen. <laughs> it's insane. Well, they're, they're at $6 trillion now, they're, you know, Peter Schiff and several other well-known economists think it's going to go to to a total of ten trillion. You know, Americans are getting a twelve hundred dollar check for a sixty thousand dollar debt uh, to for for our national debt, and it's this is not fixable. We agreed on our show last night, all four of us that were on our show last night agreed that this is not fixable, and still going to be a horrible uh, road back for America unless Trump kills the Federal Reserve and creates a, a gold-backed treasury. He won't. This is, <laughs> you don't you don't you don't have any you don't have any faith that Trump will even will even do that. I don't think he'll take out the Fed now. Because the Fed's controlled by Wall Street essentially, and now it's sort of merging with the Treasury that's run by Steve Mnuchin, who's a Goldman Sachs guy, right? Sure, sure. So sure. I, I don't really find it very likely that he'll take out the Fed and end the Fed. I think you know. Um I don't really see Trump I don't know. Uh, I know a lot of people like to have faith in the guy, but everything he's done and everyone that surrounds him 
um, gives me no confidence. Uh, yeah, the, the people who surround him def definitely are not the right kind of people to have faith in. Right. Wow. Again, this is so freaking vast. I'm going to let you slide because my brain's melting, Whitney. And I'm looking forward to your next <laughs> installment of, uh, of your series. Uh, Pat, any closing questions, statements for Whitney? No, I'm good. I mean, Whitney, thank you so much for joining us. It was, it was a pleasure speaking with you. And, and uh, you are a treasure trove, as Jeffrey said, of information. Thank you. Likewise, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And we, uh, you did mention Rumsfeld. He was head of that Gilead, was he not? That uh, pharmaceutical or tech company or something yeah. like that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I bring that up a little bit in my series um, for people that um, might be interested in who may have actually been behind the anthrax attacks. Um, but there, there is an interesting tie-in with Gilead there that you know a, a biopharmaceutical company, biotechnology company that Rumsfeld was running right before he became Secretary of Defense in 2001. And there is a very interesting individual that was also handpicked by Gilead in 2001 to run a new. Um, uh, restructure of research and development in the new special project management department. So um, very interesting stuff was going on um, in 2001 at Gilead. But I'll just leave it there <laughs> to try and, you know, get people to read my series. Um, there you go. Well, and absolutely, as we've said to all of our guests, you know, we're not going to be going anywhere anytime soon. So we would love, you know, a month or two as this plays out, see how uh, – and I'd love to get you back, man, to kind of see how um, our notes – compared with what actually happened, because it seems like it's going in a very, very bad direction. I attempt to be as optimistic as possible, too, but, you know, I judge a, judge a tree by its fruits, and it's just not looking so good. So I hope for the best yeah. and prepare for the worst. Whitney, uh, give a shout-out on where we can find you again. Social networking, uh, Okay, so you can, um, you can find me on Twitter, underscore Whitney Webb. I'll probably be the platform soon, so please bookmark my page, um, Unlimited Hangout, or the Last American Vagabond.com, where all my work is going to be published right now. Um, if you're interested in supporting me, you can support me on Patreon, uh, Whitney Webb MPN. That's for when I used to work at Mint Press. And um, you can also support uh, Ryan, who runs the Last American Vagabond on Patreon as well, if you prefer to support my employer. Um, really, your preference, any support, of course, is greatly appreciated. Absolutely. Patrick J., thank you for your time. Whitney, thank you again so very much. Best of luck, continued success. Peace and so much love, you guys. Stay tuned. There will always be more.